0: It's good to have you here today, Uh, I'm going to pray for us and if you have your Bibles you might open them to the Gospel of John, it's where we are and it's where we're going to be for a long time. So let me pray for us and uh, we'll get started. Father God, we uh, thank you for inviting us to be here today um, to join you. It would uh, be foolish of us to think uh, that we need to pray for you to come be with us because you were already here. You had already planned for us. You were already waiting for us. And uh, I thank you for each one who is here this morning, who was here at the last service. Pray for those who were on line, Father. We all have the same need this morning. Uh, we need you. We need to hear from you. We need uh, your word. And uh, Father, I cannot uh, do that, no human can deliver your word in a way that will change life, only you can do that, and so as we always do this morning, we ask you to do that very thing, Um, to uh, invade our thoughts and our heart, that your spirit would make us like that good soil this morning, and that we can uh, sweep away the thoughts that might distract us, and the cobwebs in our head, and we can listen to your word. And so we pray for that now, knowing it's what we need. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen amen it's good to have you here uh, my wife and I um, were uh, at the Motor Center last night with 22,000 of our uh, best friends and um, we were uh, there for a concert uh, one of our kids bought us tickets to see Bruce Springsteen and we decided that we were gonna make that happen and it was we had an awesome time I have to tell you though it's really interesting sitting in the Motor Center with 22,000 other people and lis- kind of listening to them and and watching them hearing the conversations that are taking place, uh, seeing the things that they're consuming and how they're consuming it and all that stuff. And it would be easy, I think, to be in a group like that and to make some assumptions about people. And oftentimes those assumptions that we make would be wrong. Uh, I came across a study a few weeks ago done by uh, Lifeway it was a survey of of unchurched people and they asked them a a set of questions and some of the results were uh, quite fascinating for instance they found that um, 79 percent of unchurched people say that they don't mind their Christian friends talking about their faith with them. 79%. And I think there's probably an assumption on our part that maybe we could be at the Moda Center at a concert and we would be doubtful that roughly 8 out of every 10 people would be interested in having a conversation with us about the gospel. And yet this study revealed that that in fact is absolutely true. And you could see how that shapes us, doesn't it? If we assume that most people do not want to hear about Christ, then it's going to kind of affect how much maybe we talk about it. 47% said they would freely talk with someone who wanted to talk about their faith, not just Christianity, but any faith in general. So again, the point was more people would be open to having a conversation with a friend about Christianity than just about religion in general. Now on the other hand, 23% said that they think their Christian friends talk about their faith too much, which I would say is okay. And 5% feel strongly about that previous statement. (laughs) But the point is, uh, overwhelmingly, people are interested in having a conversation with the friends about Christ. Is that how you think when you look at the world around you? Do you generally look at people as being 8 out of 10, you know, open to talking with you? They found some more things in the survey that I thought were interesting. 29% uh, of unchurched Americans say that a Christian has ever shared with them one-on-one about the gospel only three in 10 people say that someone has had a one-on-one conversation with them uh, about the gospel. 35% said that a Christian has shared the benefits of the faith with them, which which is great, the benefits of the faith is great, it's not the faith though. And 33% said that a Christian has told them about the benefits of being part of a local church, which again is awesome, but 40% said that they've never had a Christian explain any of those things. All right, so imagine that most people are open to having a conversation that I think oftentimes we think they don't wanna have and so we don't have that conversation. And again, maybe some of you could give a testimony to that. I can, I've told you at age 15, I had never heard the gospel. No one had ever explained to me who Jesus was, what Jesus came and did, that Jesus had conquered sin and death, that he was crucified, that he was resurrected and and that he ascended to heaven. No one had ever told me that until i was 15 years old so we're in the gospel of john the gospel of john kind of clears up all of that stuff and it really focuses us as a church where i think our focus needs to be on the person and the work of jesus christ The first three weeks uh, we talked about the prologue and Jesus as the word and who he was and his he's eternal and he was with God and was God and last week we talked about John the the baptizer and talked about his amazing story right his his parents were old and they were past childbearing years but they had never had a child and his dad Zechariah was a priest and he was uh, serving in the temple and Gabriel appears to him and says I got some good news your prayers have been answered and your wife is going to have a child and her old Old age it's going to be a boy his name is going to be john and he's going to be great he's going to go before the lord and he's going to prepare the hearts of people we said last week that john as amazing as his story was that was never the point for john it was always jesus and we said john was a pointer john went around saying not me but him don't look at me look at christ And we're going to carry that on in last week one of the verses we looked at was 28 and 29 of John. And it says this, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And again we said last week he didn't say behold me or look at me or hear about my amazing birth or my parents or my radical life. He just said behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God, he was always pointing people, pushing people towards Jesus. Today we're gonna to continue on that story uh, with the idea of an invitation that Jesus extends which is come and see. So I'm going to tell you that I worked really hard on the outline this week again. And uh, if you look ahead, you could actually fill out the entire outline right now. Not that you would, uh, but you could. So we're going to start with come and see in John chapter 1 verse 35. So in verse 28 and 29 was the first day when Jesus walks by John and his crowd as he's baptizing and, you know, John says, behold the Lamb of God and then Moving on in verse 35. Now the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. So one of the interesting things to note is the day before, John had said the same thing. Jesus walked by the same location in the same way. John pointed at him in the same way. John said the same thing. The first day, no one responds. The second day, same thing. Everything's repeated the same. But now on that day, two people decide to follow Jesus. And I think it's a good reminder for us, right, that that most people need time. They need time to process the gospel. They need time to consider the claims of Christ. They need time to deal with their own biblical ignorance and, and, and to look at witnesses around them. And it says that they followed him. Now we know that basically it just means they, they were moving toward him. But John usually uses the word followed in reference towards discipleship. And I, I think it's fair to say that even the smallest steps towards Christ can turn out to be significant things. A a simple conversation, uh, a, a Bible verse, someone stepping into church for the first time, or simply saying a prayer. They seem small, they seem insignificant, but they can amount to amazing things. In verse 38 it says, uh, Jesus turned around and he saw them following him. So the, the picture I get is Jesus walking by on purpose and John points and two of the disciples, they just start following him. And so the, the picture is Jesus is walking and they're kind of you know, kind of skulking behind him and walking there and then Jesus turns around and says, you know, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So he asks them a simple question. He says, what are you you seeking? And commentators say it's it's significant that Jesus stops and turns around and addresses them and just asks them a simple question, which is, what are you looking for? Why are you following me? What's this all about? And if you go through the Gospels, you notice Jesus is good at asking leading questions. Not just talking, but asking questions. Imagine if we were a little bit more like that imagine if instead of uh, when we see people going you know hey how's the weather or you know what's up uh, maybe when you walk into church or you know when you go to work or school in the morning imagine instead of that you said something like you know hey how's, how's God been treating you So I told you a few weeks ago, my father-in-law would always say that when he would see you. He'd shake your hand and say, how's God been treating you? And that's really a leading question. Like he's really boxed you in a corner, isn't he? Like he's kind of forcing you to talk about something in a particular way. It's something that some people found uncomfortable with Don at first, but over time they would say, they came to love it. They came to love the fact that they would have spiritual conversations with him. Why? Because he just asked a very simple, non-threatening, but leading question. You know, or, or, or what are you looking for? What are you hoping for in life, or today, or, or how can I pray for you? Simple questions that can lead to significant conversations. So they say they just respond. Well, we'd like to know where you're staying. So they you know they want to know where Jesus is hanging out, and the implication is that they would hang out with him. They want to see his, his you know his life in action. They want to see what his dwelling looks like. So let's admit it. Like when you go to someone's house for the very first time, I I. I you know, I'm sure that you're above it, but most of us, we're kind of judging people, you know, by the house, by the apartment. We're like, do they ever dust? Do they clean up? Are they organized? Are they disorganized? Are they hoarders? You know, are they not? Are they similar? Like, right, we, we kind of discern a lot of stuff by being in a dwelling where somebody lives. And that's kind of what's going on here. They just want, they want to see, what does his dwelling look like? Does he dust? You know, is he, is he organized? Uh, I wonder what he's watching on Netflix. You know, they wait till I left the room and check the history, you know. Like what's he been watching? How does he treat people that come by the house? These are things they want to know. They they want to know him. They want to know what he's like. They call him rabbi. Rabbi simply meant, my, it literally means my great one and, and it was a common term of honor from a student to a teacher. Now in that day, um, anyone pretty much could be a rabbi if they were Jewish and they wanted to and they wanted to teach. It, wasn't about, it was about 70 years later that there was an official training and ordination process that, that you had to go through in order to be a rabbi but, but not yet yet. But here's what they're saying. They're they're expressing the kind of relationship they want to have with Jesus by calling him rabbi. They're saying, we we would love to learn from you. We would love to be able to sit under under your teaching. And he said to them in verse 39, and this is where we get our our point. He says, come and you will see. And so they came and they saw. Very simple, come and see. And so they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for about the 10th hour. Now John mentions to us, he puts a little timestamp on it, and there's been a lot of speculation like, why the timestamp? Why mention what time of day it was? That would have been 4 p.m. in our time. And some people think, John is just letting us know. A little timestamp. This is the hour. This is the hour of the day when Jesus met his very first disciple, the team of people that he would use to turn the world upside down and so they spent the rest of the day with him we don't know how long they were with him it's 4 p.m. when they're with him so Uh, They could have been with him all night. Have you ever uh, been visiting with somebody and they're so interesting or you just have such a great relationship that you end up staying up all night, little Mountain Dew, and you're just good to go and uh, just talking and talking and suddenly you're like, you know, where did the day go? And that's certainly possible. We're not told how long they talked, but it could have been an all-nighter. We're not told what they talked about, but we know that it was significant enough that the next day they would go out and tell people we have met the Messiah. Like that, that was a pretty productive night. But again, remember the starting point. The starting point is just John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and saying, you guys should check that man out. And now these men are, are following Jesus in the most basic way, right? They're just literally walking after him. But they're taking the first steps of genuine discipleship, which again, just reminds me, you never know where a simple step can lead to. Verse 40, now one of the two who heard John speak and followed him and spent that that evening with Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew is one of the first two to kind of meet Jesus and spend some time with him. It's been noted how interesting it is though that Andrew will never get out of the shadow of his brother, Simon Peter, who hasn't even met Jesus yet, but Andrew's already being called. Like that's how you know who Andrew is. He's not as famous as Simon Peter. But think about this, as big as the church is now, right, two billion people across the world, all over the world, there was a time when there were just two. It's got to start somewhere. Jesus, as the head of the church, now has two disciples, two two newbies. Who are they? Andrew and, well, we're not told who the second one is. He, he's, he's not identified, he's anonymous, and scholars believe he's anonymous on, on purpose. We believe that it was John, the one who's writing this gospel. John never refers to himself as John in this book if, if he refers to himself as anything in this book it's as the disciple Jesus loved which we'll talk about in the weeks well actually months uh, to come from now but he doesn't name himself and, and the anonymity I think is intentional John is uh, the disciples trying to do what John I think the baptizer does which is I let's not talk about me let's not look at me let's not think about me let's put Jesus on the center stage and so Jesus turns to them and he says, Hey, just come and see. A very simple invitation, which leads us to point two. Maybe you figured this out already. Come and see. All right? So, except this time, it's an invitation that the disciples are going to extend to others. Verse 41. Now he, that is Andrew, first found his own brother, Simon. And he says to his brother, We have found Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So the first thing that Andrew does after spending the evening with Jesus is he goes and he finds his brother. He finds his brother and he says, guess what I've found, right? Guess what I've discovered. And, and it's interesting because each time Andrew is mentioned in the Gospel of John, he's always bringing someone or a group of people to Jesus. That's what Andrew does. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, maybe we resist sharing the Gospel because we feel like we don't know enough, or we haven't studied enough, or we don't have enough verses memorized. But think about it: w- what does Andrew know at this point? Right? He's he's he met Jesus one day ago, <laughs> and suddenly he just turns around and he starts telling people, "You should meet this guy." Andrew is, is just telling his brother what he's seen and what he's heard. And I think it's true that many people who will not go to church or will not listen to a sermon. Will listen to the words of a friend who is a believer, right? That's what the statistics tell us. Now, there's a story in the Gospel of Mark about Jesus who comes in contact with a guy who is possessed by many demons and Jesus uh, drives the demons out of that guy, and you might remember the story, they, they go into a herd of swine that like go nuts and rush down into the sea, and they, they drown, and it really freaks out all the residents of town, and they're like, Jesus, you need to leave here, and as Jesus is getting ready to go, the guy that he drove the demons out of us, says it's now, he's now in his right mind, and he tells Jesus, can I please come with you? I mean, obviously, this guy's been living in a graveyard possessed by demons, Jesus releases him, and he's, right who wouldn't want to follow Jesus? But Jesus' response is interesting. In Mark 5, verse 19, he says to him, instead he says, I want you to go home, and the word home there is the Greek word oikos. We talk about that word from time to time. Oikos, it means household. I want you to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Jesus says, I know it would be great to come with me. I know that would be awesome, but there's something more important that you need to do than to follow me. You need to go home to your oikos and tell them what I have done for you. So oikos is a Greek word. It doesn't mean yogurt, it means household. And and in fact, a little different than we think because when we think of household today, we often think of like, who lives under my roof? But back in those days, household was actually we might think extended household it was a reference to people that you had a loving influential regular interaction kind of relationship so they thought of a household as being much broader than we do today and it could you know it could involve people living in your home your kids your parents maybe some relatives who live across town that you see on a regular basis someone you work with or someone you go to school with or on a team with but these are people that you have a loving, influential relationship, you interact with them on a regular basis, and they're your oikos. They're your, they're your household, and everyone has one. And some of the people that are in your oikos, hopefully some of the people that are in your oikos, are people who don't yet know Christ. Now we're told that the average American has anywhere from 8 to 15, on average, people in their oikos. Now why is this so important? Well, a study done by Wynne Arne some years back of uh, 42,000 Christians. They asked those Christians a simple question How did you come to Christ? Now, now, we all know that the way we actually came to Christ was uh, Jesus drew us to himself and he, he saved us. It was a work of God, it was a work of grace. But the question was who did God use? right? Who did God use in the process to kind of introduce you to the faith? And they got a lot of different answers. And if you've been in 101, you've seen this, or if you've been here long enough. But I want to just kind of remind us of this this morning. Now, some people said, I had a special need. Maybe I, I needed food. I needed clothing. You know, I, I needed shelter. I came to the church. They met the need. It really meant something to me. And that, that was a process whereby I came to Christ. Some people said they just walked in off the street. So, and I've, I've had conversations with people like this, like, you know, you know meet them on Sunday morning oh it's great to have you here they're like it's my first time oh what brings you here who do you know I don't know anybody I just God has convicted me I need to come to church and and that happens and sometimes God does that and people say I came to church and I got saved Uh, some people say it was there was a pastor and I had a relationship with him and God used that pastor to really draw me to Christ one uh, percent said visitation somebody from church came to my door knocked on my door that ended up being a process I came to Christ one percent isn't much one out of a hundred is definitely worth it isn't it like we're not going to lot of doors if we could get that kind of response Sunday school is four percent probably a little bit less at gateway evangelistic crusade is one percent so like do you remember the days of the Billy Graham crusades and you know you go to the crusade and like thousands and thousands of people would go forward and you would think more people would say it was a crusade but when they actually ask people who make commitments at crusades how did you come to Christ They'd say well actually it was my mom or my dad or someone who was praying for me and, and, and you know it's kind of lovingly walking me through the gospel and they brought me here and I made the decision here but it wasn't Billy Graham it was my mom or somebody who helped me get to that place. Um, a program there's a program in the church came to youth group came to uh, uh, a Bible study or something and that was how I got to know Christ. But 83% said it was a relative, it was a friend, it was somebody who knew Jesus and they were just sharing Christ with me on a regular basis. Sharing Christ with the oikos is the most natural way for you to share your faith in the most natural way that people come to Christ. It's your God-given mission field. So Mike and I are hopping on a plane next week and we're going down to another country and we will have opportunity to share the gospel with people we've never met. But that's not usually how people come to Christ. It's through people in your oikos. It's your God-given mission field. Family, friends, right? Neighbors, coworkers. And this is what Andrew's doing. Andrew's, Andrew's doing oikos without knowing oikos. He's, he hasn't seen the facts and hasn't seen the figures. He's just doing what makes sense. Verse 42, And so he brought his brother to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and he said, You are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Jesus begins by calling him by his biological name, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of John, but then he says to him, in the future tense, you will be called, you're gonna get a new name. I'm, I'm giving you a new name, right? Sometimes you guys have friends and you've given them nicknames and that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He says, in the future, you're gonna be Cephas, which is Aramaic, or Peter, which is Greek, but they both mean the same thing. They mean rock. You are going to be rock, right? Jesus is declaring what he's going to make of Simon. He's going to be a rock. Uh, J.C. Riley says this, Peter is a new man yet it's not because of anything in him that made it so. It was only Jesus and his declaration. That's what changed Peter. But it started with Andrew inviting his brother to come and see. Just come and see. Again, you never know what that might lead to going on in verse uh, 43 now the next day he and that he is an important word that we'll talk about that the next day he decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him follow me now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter so there's some debate about that word he in the Greek text it literally just says he Um, but the question is who is he in this passage and grammatically it could be one of two people it could be Jesus or it could be Andrew. It could be either one of them. Now I think in the NIV in the ESV I think it says Jesus. In the New American Standard and some other translations it just says he but it's with a capital H so they're kind of tipping their hand there. But if you read guys like uh, D.A. Carson, um, John MacArthur, uh, William Klink, uh, MacArthur and Klink both say yeah it could absolutely be uh, Andrew. Carson on the other hand is just like It's Andrew. Sometimes when you're trying to figure out how to translate or understand a word, it's helpful to pull back and look at the context. Here's what Carson says, the flow of the passage tells us that Andrew is the he since everyone else who comes to Jesus in this chapter comes because of someone else's witness. So again, if it's Andrew, just Kind of follow the, the, the trail here. Andrew spends an evening with Jesus, and then the next day he goes and he finds his brother Simon, and then he goes and he finds Philip. And we're told all these guys were from the same hometown. So again, they're probably all, way costs all friends. But of course, regardless of who he is in the passage, it's still Jesus who does the calling and does the saving. It was Christ who came to us, not us to him. He came to seek and save save the lost. The lost didn't go after him. He was the one who walked by John's location and made himself available. He's the one who turned around and initiated a conversation with the first two disciples. It was Christ who came to us. But again, he often uses people to help that process along so Philip could not keep the good news to himself in verse 45 it says now Philip found Nathanael and he said to Nathanael we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph so Nathaniel is called Bartholomew in the other gospels Bartholomew is his, is his surname and Nathanael is probably his, his first name Bartholomew Bar again meaning son of Philip just naturally begins to tell other people about Jesus and it's interesting because here he begins to speak in the first person plural so it's not anymore like come see who I found it's come see who we found right he's part of a a team now he's part of a group of of growing disciples and he says we have found the one that the entire Old Testament it all the, the law the prophets Moses all of it points to this guy to which Nathaniel responds, and I love this, Nathaniel said to him, wait, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, what did he say? Come and see. I, I love that. So Nathaniel's hometown um, is about four miles north of Nazareth. And commentators believe that there was some some serious rivalry going on between those two towns. I don't know, maybe their football teams were in the playoffs or something. And, you know, there's just a lot going on there. And sometimes you'll see that, you know. It, it made me think um, when, when Christy and I were looking to move into Kamaswa Shugel um, I remember kind of looking around in Washugal at the time. It was hard to find a home. We were looking over in Camas. And one day I was at church here and I asked somebody who was born and raised in Washugal. I asked him like, you know, we're looking, Washougal, Camas, Camas, Washougal. It, it's all really the same, right? And I still remember what he said to me. He looked me in the eye and he said, if you gave me a million dollar home in Camas, I wouldn't live in it. Like so, there just tells you, right? Sometimes there's a little rivalry going on. Um, Nathaniel's objection though is this: he says, "Can anything good? That word means beneficial. Can anything beneficial come out of that town? Come out of Nazareth?" Now, Nazareth we know is a very small; it has one well at the time, so we know it's a fairly small rural town, um, mostly uneducated people. Uh, uncultured people and were were told that they likely had a a particular accent that seemed very unsophisticated um, when they were in the big city and so people would be like oh you know you're from Nazareth and, and kind of write them off. Jesus was actually from Bethlehem Um, but he did live much of his life in Nazareth and so he would often be called you know Jesus of Nazareth but it would be like it'd be like if my wife and I were traveling down to visit our daughter in Arizona sometimes we go down there and we'll meet people and they'll say where are you from and I'll say I'm from Washougal but I I wasn't born and raised in Washougal I was born and raised in Orange County California but I've lived here most of my life and so that's a little bit of of what's going on here he was born of course in Bethlehem but he lived many years in Nazareth and so Philip is, is talking to Nathaniel and, and he just says to him, he says, you know what, I, well, come and see. Just, right, just come and see for yourself. I love instead of arguing with him or instead of criticizing him for you know, the, this bias statement or shaming Nathaniel, he just simply invites him. Well, I don't know, come and see for yourself. Come check it out for yourself. Here's what I love about this. I love Philip's confidence that Jesus can prove himself. That he doesn't need Philip to do it. I love the fact that he, he doesn't feel like it's all on me. On him, he doesn't feel like he has to prove Jesus. Do you f- ever feel like that? Like, well, I'd share Jesus, but then I'm going to have to prove him and all that stuff. And Philip's like, no, I don't have to do any of that. I can just invite people to come and see Jesus. And you know what? Jesus is a big boy. He's, he's been proving himself <laughs> for a long time. And by the way, he does it really well. Now, obviously, we should know the gospel. We should be able to explain the gospel to people in two minutes or 20 minutes if we had that. We should be able to defend the faith and no doctrine and theology. But we know in the end, we can do all that stuff and you will still not convince anyone ever to believe in Jesus. Only God can do that. And by the way, God can use even you, believe it or not, to do that. We can't make people believe. Jesus does it. And as Philip knows, he does it really well. I just love his confidence. Verse 47. Now Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and he said of him, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. So when he says Israelite indeed, actually that, that the literal translation is uh, a true Israelite. And he's not talking about like genetics or genes here. He's talking uh, spiritually saying this is a man who's devoted to the God of Israel, in whom he says there's no deceit, which means that Nathanael is a genuine seeker. He's not a pretender. He's not a deflector, All right? So it, it would be easy to say like, oh, well, you know, when, um, when Philip tells him about Jesus and Nathanael throws out the, oh, well, isn't he from Nazareth? He's just saying that's not a deflection, right? Sometimes you have conversations with people and you're trying to share the gospel and they just keep deflecting, but Jesus says that's not what he's doing here. This is a man who has questions, but his heart is ready to embrace the truth. Verse 48, so again, Nathaniel says to him, and I love what he says, he says, how do you know me? And I love, right, there's this kind of an incredulity, they're like, how do you know so much about me? How do you really think that you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you, and Nathanael answered, watch how quick things turn here, right? And then Nathanael answers, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Like, just like this. There's a, there's a switch there. So here's the thing, we don't know what Nathanael was doing under the fig tree. But it has not stopped hundreds of people from guessing and theorizing and writing books on it and preaching about this. Some people have said, well, he was probably revealing that God would reveal himself that day. Like, have you ever done that? You get up in the morning and you're praying for your day. And you're, God, would you just reveal yourself to me today in some amazing way I could use that? Or some think he was reading about Jacob's ladder. We'll talk about that in a minute. Or maybe he was praying about something specific or thinking, maybe he's thinking about the coming of the Messiah and oh God, that would be so amazing, or uh, maybe thinking about being baptized by John, or... so a few people suggested that maybe it, <laughs> it was some secret sin um, that was going on under that tree, and it was Jesus' way of just going, I saw you, and I know what you did, right? Which probably isn't true, given what Jesus says about his, his, his character. The point is, we don't know what he was doing, but Jesus did, that's the point. Jesus did. Jesus had a supernatural knowledge and when Jesus said that, Nathanael knew. He knew at that moment and he believed. His doubts are gone and now suddenly Jesus is rabbi and he's son of God and he's king of Israel. And Jesus said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under, under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He tells Nathanael, you are going to see some crazy stuff, you know. You're going to see me work miracles, he's going to turn water into wine. That's that's next week. We'll talk about that. He's going to feed thousands and thousands of people with a lunchable. He's going to walk on water. He's going to control the weather. He's going to raise people from the dead. He's going to you know, give amazing teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, he's gonna see Jesus crucified, Jesus buried, Jesus resurrected, Jesus ascended, Jesus just tells the man, you ain't seen nothing yet and he talks about the angels of God ascending and descending and this is a reference to a story in Genesis 28 about uh, Jacob a story that happened almost 2000 years earlier and Jacob had this vision Jacob is the original Israelite you could say and that his name is changed to Israel so there's some interesting things going on here now what Jesus calls uh, Nathaniel and now talking about Jacob and he had this vision where there was this ladder that sat on the earth and went up into heaven and angels were coming and going and basically what Jesus is saying is I'm the ladder I'm that which you know from which the revelation from God comes down I'm the opening into heaven I am the mediator between God and man and Nathaniel is like yeah I believe that thing the disciples invite their friends to come and see but the disciples cannot make any of their friends believe but they can invite them to see for themselves so what does that mean for us? That's our last point in the outline. I know you didn't see it coming. Uh, now you can fill in the word see there, right? So, but what does that mean for us today? Because the gospel is all about a person. And if the gospel is all about a person, like in Jesus' day, it was easy. It could just be like, well, you're not sure, we'll come and see Jesus, all right? Pretty simple. But what do we do today? How do we, how do we invite people to come and see Jesus today? Now, there's a lot of ways, but just quickly I wanna wrap up by giving you a couple of suggestions on how you might do this. The first is, just simply invite some people who don't know Christ into your life, right? Because Christ lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And it's one way for people to see Jesus. Let them see Christ in your character. Let them see Christ in the words that you speak, in your actions, in your reactions, in your priorities, in your finances, in the way that you treat people, and the way that you react to difficulties and stresses and finances, right? Because people are watching you. And they should be watching you. In Matthew 5, it says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Going back to that same survey we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, um, they found that 33% of unchurched people said that they admire the faith of their Christian friends. One out of three. So if you're on average, you got one out of three unbelievers that you know who admire your faith. Maybe they've never told you that. They said another 18% say they merely put up with it and 13% say they ignore it altogether. But you know, those are actually pretty good numbers. A third of the people that you know roughly don't know Christ admire your faith. So make some room for the unbelievers in your life. Make some room in your heart, not just for Christians, But for some unbelievers, make room in your prayers for people who don't know Christ. Make some room in your schedule. Make some room in your relational world for them. And part of that means you need to know who they are and I would encourage you to be praying for them and pray for yourself for opportunities that you would take those. But make some room in your world for them. Here's the second thing, invite them into the word, both directly and indirectly. Let Let the words of Christ dwell in your conversations. Right, how often do we have conversations with people that right, just like the weather and you know sports and this and that instead of like talking with them about the things of Christ or here's something you can do. Just make sure that the gospel is seasoned in your, in, in your conversations. My wife works at a school and she'll say, a lot of times she'll be talking with coworkers and she'll you know, say something and, and they'll be like, wow, that's, real, that's really cool. Did you think of that? And she'll be like, no, that comes from the Bible. And people are amazed, you know, like wow, that... Like the Bible says that. And so there's a chance just in your conversations, in your words, or or give them a Bible. Right? Give them a Bible and and say, hey, you know, you should try reading this. Or hey, we could read it together. I'm, I'm really into the word uh, to the gospel of John right now. You know, we could we could read it, nope, no pressure, there'll be no tests, but we could just read it and we could talk about it and right? they might say yes, and imagine how God could use that. Let them let them read about the life of Christ and His teaching and His character and His death and resurrection. In fact, that's, by the way, the whole goal of this book that we're studying. At the end of the Gospel of John, it says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's the whole point. So, Invite them into your life. Invite them into the Word. And just one more, um, invite them to church. And So when I say invite them to church or the body of Christ, I don't just mean here although you could invite them here, but there's a, a, anytime believers are gathered together, you have the church, you have the body of Christ, you can invite them to a worship service, but you could invite them to a, a youth event, or to a camp, or to a Bible study, or some event that's going on at church, and give them the opportunity to be around some other Christians, because Christians are the the body of Christ. So again, if you're like, where could I, let's see, how. where could I invite people to come and, and, and see and hear Jesus. Any place where believers are gathered together. In John 13, 35, John says this by, all this, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So invite them to come and see the body of Christ. There's many more we could talk about. We're out of time, but remember, we cannot make people believe and we could never live lives that are so perfect that it would just you know, make everybody want to believe in Christ. That's, it's not about you being a perfect witness. It's simply about you being willing. It's simply about you being willing to invite people to come and see and about you being willing to trust that Jesus can take care of the heavy lifting, of helping people come to a place where they can believe but we can invite people to come and see to invite them into our world and to pray for them and to trust that as we do the the little things the little conversations the little invitations that God will do what only he can do but imagine church full of Andrews and Phillips who are always rushing to tell their oikos and their friends inviting them to come and see and see we That's exactly what we can be and it's exactly what we must be because again we have people that are they don't even know it but they're waiting for us to initiate a conversation and to initiate an an invitation to come and to see you know the truth is all of us have a Andrew or Philip in our life right somebody who God used to help us come to that place and now it's our opportunity to turn around and, and be that for someone else let me pray for us. Father, I, I thank you for uh, this passage, uh, like for everyone that we've gone through, just the richness of it, that the both, just a great story on the surface, but so much depth, so much to learn. But I do thank you for just the simple message in this passage, that we have the opportunity to invite people to come and see. And that in doing that, Father, that we trust you to do the rest of the work. We trust you to reach into their hearts. We trust you to bring them to a place of faith. We know that's not our job. That's not our work. That's yours. But we can invite people to come and see. Father, help us to be aware of who it is in our relational world who doesn't know you. Help us to be faithful in praying for them. Father, we pray for ourselves that you would give us opportunities and that you would give us boldness to step into those opportunities. And that as we invite people to come and to see your son, that you will do the rest of the work. We pray, we beg, Father, that you would use us to help people come to know your son, the savior of the world, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We pray for these things in Jesus' name.